Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Charts with Dan. This week, we're going to be talking about the box office weekend, which was a little sleepy, but there was a very interesting story about a movie that wasn't in the top five, really almost wasn't in the top ten. We're going to talk about that movie. We're going to go over the streaming charts, all kinds of fun stuff. Before we do, though, I want to thank, as always, my partners at Carbon Health for being a presenting sponsor on this show. And keep in mind that if you are traveling or if you're somewhere where you need help, healthcare and don't have a consistent location, you can check the Carbon Health app. They are devoted to making healthcare accessible and affordable for everybody. And thank you to my friends at Carbon Health. Let's start by looking at the box office top five. I said on last week's show that it was possible, depending on how Scream held up, that Spider-Man No Way Home could return to the top of the box office charts. Well, it was a fairly close race, and it indeed did get back to the top. In its sixth week of release, Spider-Man No Way Home, with just over $14 million, so it is now, once again, the number one movie in America. We saw this trend last week, where it returned to the top of the charts on Monday, the Monday of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday here in the U.S. When we look at Scream in its second week, it dropped off about 59%, which is not as steep as you see a lot of times with horror films, generally ones that are not very well received. Scream was fairly well received, so uh, we did not see this drop off of the cliff, but it was just enough by about $2 million to allow Spider-Man No Way Home to return to number one. But as we mentioned last week, because of Scream's responsible low budget for the return it could get at the box office, based on the performance of the last film, that movie doesn't really have a lot to worry about because it's doing all right. Could it be doing better? Of course it could be doing better, but it's over $50 million. Even with marketing, etc., this is going to be a moneymaker. We'll see if this becomes another franchise starter. I did a breakdown, not only in my non-spoiler review, but last week in a review roundup, I did a fairly extended Scream spoiler review and go into my thoughts on sequels and how the movie played out. If you haven't seen that, you can check the little card up in the corner of the screen, and that'll direct you right over there. So Spider-Man No Way Home and Scream at numbers one and two. That leaves Sing 2 remaining in third place in its fifth week with $5.7 million. Then in fourth place, we have Redeeming Love, which was one of two new wide releases this weekend. It was good enough for fourth place with $3.5 million, and then The Kingsman staying in the top five in its fifth week of release with another $1.7 million. A couple of uh, record-related things and also performance-related things I wanted to note before we get into the breakdown of a movie you didn't see in that top five. The first is Spider-Man No Way Home standing when it comes to all-time adjusted for inflation films uh, domestically, not worldwide, but domestically, and it is continuing to move up those charts. So it has now crossed $720 million. That Avatar line that we talked about is $760 million, so it's still climbing its way up there. I think it's going to be pretty close, but you see now when you look at the all-time domestic chart, adjusted for inflation. It is now past Jurassic World. It is now past the Avengers adjusted for inflation. It now has its eyes squarely set on Greece, its eyes set on Mary Poppins as it tries to perhaps enter the top 25 highest grossing films of all time. A phenomenal success story uh, remains phenomenal for Spider-Man No Way Home and as evidenced by its placement this last weekend, still a very viable box office threat right now. It's going to be a bit of a slow few weeks really. We've got 
Not a whole lot going on. Uh, Moonfall and Jackass Forever kind of pop things up in February a little bit, but we're really just kind of biding our time until the Batman comes out as far as blockbuster releases. So a lot of real estate there for Spider-Man No Way Home. And then when we look at Scream, uh, this is also adjusted for inflation. I kind of wanted to put this uh, entry in the film franchise in context with the other ones when you go through 10 days. So these are Scream franchise domestic grosses through 10 days adjusted for inflation. And we see Scream pretty much right where it was last week, which is right in the middle. Scream 2, when you adjust it for inflation, had a big opening off of the enthusiasm from the first film. So after 10 days, it already had over $100 million adjusted, uh, followed by Scream 3, which was approaching that mark. Then we see this version, uh, 2022 Scream at $51.1 million, followed by 1996, which through 10 days had $43 million. However, that is a little misleading because it had an unconventional release strategy. It opened in very limited release, or certainly far more limited uh, than most movies opening, certainly any of the other Scream films, and then rolled out more gradually as word of mouth spread. Uh, so that is going to overtake this version of Scream uh, fairly soon. And then Scream 4, bringing up the rear, um, this is really something that you don't see see a whole lot, which is a franchise that that lags off and then is able to resurrect itself. If there's a genre you can do it, horror would probably be the one, and we're seeing a lot of these, like Halloween uh, and Scream, where you come back, you just name it the same thing, you bring people back, and, and it's been X amount of years, uh, and you get that successful launch. Uh, but this has been a success for Scream, and again, because they didn't pump so much money into it that, that it became uh, inviolable at the box office. Before we look at the rest of the weekend numbers, though, the movie that I really want to go into is one that is just barely in the top 10, and it didn't even make a million dollars this past weekend, despite being a wide release on over 2,000 screens. I mentioned a little bit about it uh, on last week's show, a little bit about the backstory of this movie, and that is a movie called The King's Daughter. And if you haven't heard of The King's Daughter, that's no surprise because not a lot of people went to see it either. But it was in theaters nationwide. It starred Pierce Brosnan and Kaya Scodelario. And it's such an interesting story. I think the, the story behind the movie is more interesting than the movie itself. I did see The King's Daughter and also reviewed it on my roundup last week. Uh, so if you head over to that video, you can see uh, my take on the movie as far as a critic goes. But as an analyst and just somebody that likes to follow these movies and their journey to the big screen, you're not going to find many more that are more interesting than The King's Daughter. And the story of The King's Daughter starts about 25 years ago with the publication of a novel by Vonda McIntyre called The Moon and the Sun. It was a critically acclaimed book, and the science fiction and fantasy writers of America named it the best of the year over another book that was launching a series of novels that you may have heard of. It was a book called A Game of Thrones from a writer called George R.R. R. Martin. As happens with a hit book, Hollywood soon came coming, and it was a producer named Bill Mechanic. Bill Mechanic had just come off a run as the chairman of Fox, where he oversaw Titanic and its run to become the highest grossing film of all time, and he tried getting this movie made in the the early 2000s over at Disney. But it took over a decade for the movie to finally get the green light. It was put into production and greenlit in 2013 for shooting in 2014 with Pierce Brosnan and Kaya Scodelario. A big reason why this film got made was investment from China, and particularly an investment from a Chinese company called Kylan Films, which put up half of the movie's reported $40 million budget. And at the time, this was reported to be the biggest Chinese investment ever made in a film that was not made 
in China. I tried to follow up on exactly where Kylan is now, but when you follow the link on their Twitter page to their US website, it directs you here. So I'm guessing the company's not exactly doing great right now. Production on The King's Daughter, which was still called The Moon and the Sun at that time, started in 2015 with a two-week shoot on location at Versailles in France, which is crazy when you see it in this movie. And then shooting in Australia took place afterwards. Filming wrapped in late May 2014, just as a movie called X-Men Days of Future Past ruled the box office. And following shooting, it went through the usual steps that a movie goes through. It got put on the theatrical calendar for April 2015. Paramount was set to release it as a big, wide release. But just about three weeks shy of its release date, Paramount pulled it off the schedule on March 20th, 2015, which was ironically the day of a total solar eclipse, which is a key plot point in the actual movie. March 20th, 2015 was the opening day of the second film in the Divergent series, Insurgent. The number one song in America was Uptown Funk by Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars. President Barack Obama was rallying support for an Iranian nuclear arms deal. And in a little less than three months, reality TV personality Donald Trump would announce that he was running for president. And in a time where the world was better for humanity, Christopher Lee, David Bowie, Prince, and Carrie Fisher were all still with us. The King's Daughter was pulled off of the schedule reportedly to allow for more time for post-production, and then it just sat there, and sat there, and sat there. And over the next 2,500 days that would follow, two presidents were elected, two different movies surpassed Avatar as the highest domestic grocers of all time, five Star Wars films, 17 Marvel films, and $27 billion worldwide grocers were all released, Plus, the star of the film, Kaya Scodelario, who'd met her husband, Benjamin Walker, on the set of the movie, was married and had two children. In 2020, Arclight Films acquired distribution of the movie at the Cannes Film Festival, which was held virtually. It was announced at that time that Julie Andrews had been added as the narrator. And if the name Arclight sounds familiar, well, you probably know what happens next. This is what happens when you go to the Arclight Films webpage. Over a year later, Gravitas Ventures acquired distribution rights and set a release date for The King's Daughter, which was the release date that it finally held. Gravitas Ventures is more well-known for smaller distribution, mainly on VOD platforms, and they're currently owned by Anthem Sports and Entertainment, who's perhaps best known as the owner of another division called Impact Wrestling, formerly known as TNA. And so after all of this drama, after all of these acquisitions and waiting for so long, how did The King's Daughter do? Well, it ranked number eight this weekend on the box office chart with $750,000 in 2,170 theaters. On a per theater basis, it made each theater that chose to show it $346, and it was the seventh worst per theater average of all time for a movie that opened in over 2,000 theaters. So not very prestigious company for The King's Daughter. And if I were to write a book or some kind of an extended thing, there would be so many questions that I would have to ask. I'd want to ask the talent what it was like to sit there and wait for this movie to come out, the director what it was like to work on a movie like this and just go back to work and year after year presidential administration after presidential administration wait to see what was going to happen then for it finally to hit theaters i don't think anyone projected this was going to be a hit and 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 i mentioned this last week with netflix and hulu and amazon and so many other streaming services not even now two years ago three years ago four years ago desperate to buy new things why wasn't the king's daughter at some point 
sold off to one of them? Was it because there was such a heavy Chinese investment? Are they hoping that it's going to make money theatrically outside of the U.S., worldwide, internationally? I have so many questions that weren't answered, but the story behind this movie, and as I mentioned, I've seen this movie, is so much more fascinating than anything that's actually in it, although it is a weird-ass movie. But this is one of the things I like to do on the show, is not just break down the numbers, but break down the journeys that some of these films have had. And this is one of the most weird and unique journeys that I have seen in any film that I've tracked over the many years that I've done box office analysis. So that is the long strange tale of the king's daughter we will see if there are other chapters to be added to it but more than likely it just kind of ends in this dead end a bit of an anti-climax but hey it gave us a great story Let's look at some other numbers from this weekend, starting with the per theater average. And I took a little bit of feedback that you gave me. Instead of just showing the one movie with the highest per theater average every weekend, I'm now going to show you the top five to kind of put in context how these films are going to be doing. For example, this past weekend, the highest per theater average was actually a re-release, a remastered version under the supervision of Francis Ford Coppola of his 1974 film, The Conversation, which is a fantastic movie. It only played in one theater, but it made $5,781 in that one theater. That was good enough for the highest per theater average of the weekend, followed by Spider-Man No Way Home with $3,780 and Scream with $3,332. And this is very interesting. Sing 2 and Redeeming Love are flip-flopped on this chart, and that's because Redeeming Love actually played in under 2,000 theaters. It had a higher per theater average than Sing 2. But this is one of those things that when you're booking a film and when theaters are trying to decide which movie to show you have to kind of figure out what's the supply and what's the demand so even though redeeming love made fewer uh, dollars overall uh, than seeing two for a theater that was showing redeeming love that movie actually brought in more per theater than Sing 2, even though that movie made more money overall. And this is one of those movies, I'm sure, that if you're running a theater, you're probably, if you're running a Cinemark or an AMC, looking at the other ones to see, well, are they going to book it? Are they going to book it? Because if you're the theater in town that's the only one to book that movie, you get something like this. You're the only stop uh, for someone to go see Redeeming Love. So you're going to make a little bit more money on that uh, just because there are fewer places to see it. It's, it. There's a lot of strategy in booking these things, even even as we're coming out of the pandemic or in the middle of it or wherever the hell we are with this thing. Let's look at the top five films in limited release. That's 1,000 theaters or fewer. Licorice Pizza maintains its run in week nine at the top of the chart with another $659,000, followed by Parallel Mothers with $167,000, Drive My Car with $93,000, a wonderful documentary called Flea. It's a very unique story told almost completely in animation with $36,000. This could potentially be a multiple Academy Award nominee. And then Red Rocket staying on the chart with uh, 56 theaters. And when you look at this top five, I think the top four are likely to be in some way or form in contention at the Academy Awards with Flea, Drive My Car, I've talked about, I think right now is the front runner for the International Film Oscar. Parallel Mothers, the Academy loves Pedro Almodovar, so we could see uh, not only an international film nomination, sometimes we get surprised by a screenplay nomination. Penelope Cruz uh, could be in uh, the mix for a Best Actress nomination. And then Licorice Pizza, I think we're going to see writing nominations, potential Best Director, Best Picture nominations. Uh, We could get something like a Bradley Cooper who snuck in a surprise SAG nomination for Best Supporting Actor. 
Uh, I think that Licorice Pizza is going to be the one that we see in the most contention at the Oscars. But uh, the limited release films now very much stocked with award season contenders. Another bit of feedback that I took from you is looking at the comparison of the weekend by weekend box office chart. I had originally taken 2019 off in favor of keeping 2020. But a lot of people said, well, we know what 2020 looks like. It was a flat line. We want to look at, again, as we did last year, what it looks like against some kind of a normal year. Although any year that the event uh, Endgame uh, came out uh, would not be a normal year. So I revised this chart. This is now 2019. That's the blue line. 2021, last year, that's the orange line. And then 2022, this year, is the green line. And so again, we see almost right down the middle a split difference far above the the still mostly flatline box office of last year as movies were still trickling out, uh, but far below where we were in 2019. So we will keep track of this and again keeping tabs of when or if 2022's box office will start to surpass 2019's. We got one week last year, the very last week as Spider-Man uh, No Way Home came out. Uh, a lot of hope, I think, still on the Batman. Uh, could it spike up there and overtake 2019's box office we will see uh, but as always I love your feedback I love hearing what you want to see from this show because I love making the show but I want you to be interested in what you're seeing so thank you to everybody that gave me feedback on that before we look at the international numbers, I'm going to take a moment and thank today's sponsor, Athletic Greens. If you've been watching the channel recently, you know that I've been talking about Athletic Greens a lot, and it's for a good reason. Athletic Greens isn't just sponsoring the show. It's also something that I enjoy drinking every single day. It is part of my new morning routine. Uh, a lot of days, I'll blend up a shake. I'll put in some fruit. I can throw Athletic Greens into one of those, and it tastes delicious. I can throw Athletic Greens into just a cup of water, and it's still a great way to start the day. I enjoy the taste, and it also provides my body with a lot of the vitamins and probiotics and other stuff that it needs. It supports overall health. It supports gut health, which is a big thing that I'm focusing on this year. And it's just a great mix of ingredients that have been custom designed to be what your body needs to absorb every single day to help it work at its optimal efficiency. I've enjoyed making Athletic Greens part of my daily routine, and I think you will too. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Dan. Again, that is athleticgreens.com D-A-N to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And I want to thank them for sponsoring the show. Let's take a look at some stuff that opened outside of the domestic marketplace, looking first at the top five films internationally, everything outside of the U.S. and Canada. Spider-Man No Way Home, no surprise, staying on the top of the charts with $27.7 million, followed by Sing 2 with $12.8 million, then Scream at $10.2 million, The King's Man at $6.2 million, and Embrace Again from China popping back up with $5.2 million. So when we take the international market, we combine it with the domestic market, we get the top five films worldwide. Spider-Man No Way Home at number one with $41.8 million. It has now surpassed Jurassic World and The Lion King on the all-time global grocers list. Scream at number two with another $22.6 worldwide, 
followed by Sing 2 with 18.5 million, The King's Man with 7.9 million, and Embrace Again there, again in the fifth spot with 5.2 million. So when we look at the 2022 box office domestically, we've got all 10 spots filled out, which is great. Uh, it's just that we have some pretty low totals in there. These are going to fill up in the next several weeks. Scream, now the number one movie, has remained the number one movie after it took over that spot last week, breaking the $50 million mark, followed by the 355 at number two with just over $11 million. Redeeming Love coming onto the chart at number three with $3.5 million. That drops Bell down one spot to $2.7 million. I reviewed that movie also last week on my review roundup. The King's Daughter enters the chart at number five with $750,000 estimated. Aline, which I misidentified last week as a documentary. It is not a documentary. It is a kind of unofficial biopic, one of those inspired by biopics. Uh, so apologies for, for getting the genre switched up there. Uh, that is a $587,000 gross at number six. See For Me goes down two spots to number seven. Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America drops down two spots to number eight. Sparks, the Ken Sparks story drops to number nine. And then at number 10 is that re-release of The Conversation, which has generated $10,000, almost $11,000 total since opening. Let's look at the 2022 worldwide chart, and we still have a couple of movies that have been added to the chart. Scream has made now almost $85 million. It is now the highest grossing film of 2022 worldwide. It takes that spot over from the Chinese film Another Me, which drops down one spot to number two. The 355 is at number three, followed by Bengaraju from India at number four. A Japanese film called The Confidence Man JP, episode of The Hero, which is a film spinoff of a popular television show, is is there at number five, followed by the South Korean film The Policeman's Lineage at number six, Katuri City Adventure at seven, a new film from India, Harai Dayam, I'm sorry if I got that pronunciation wrong, at number eight, Redeeming Love on the chart at number nine, and the Italian film Belli Ciao staying in the top ten but dropping down three spots right on the precipice. Before we look at the streaming charts, I always like to do a box office flashback, and we're going to go back five years to January 20th through the 22nd, 2017. Five years ago, it's hard to believe, which saw the debut of James McAvoy and Split with $40 million. A lot of people forgetting also at the time that the jury was still out on M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, many people say that it still is, uh, but a, a big resurgence for him. I still don't really understand how James McAvoy could not be nominated for anything for that movie because I thought he was fantastic in that film. At number two was Triple X Return of Xander Cage with $20.1 million, part of a big 2017 uh, for Vin Diesel. That was a movie that also did particularly well uh, in China. Um, there was the thought that this was going to be uh, the generator of many more Triple X films. Those films have not yet materialized, but a return to Vin Diesel uh, to an action franchise for him. At number three was Hidden Figures, an Oscar contender. A bit of a surprise hit, a slow burner, but a, an audience favorite with $15.7 million. The original Sing in its fifth week still in the top five at $9 million. And then Grow uh, and again, this is a movie that did extremely well in limited release and then would go on to briefly win the Best Picture Oscar. La La Land in its seventh week was at number five with $8.4 million. 
Let's wrap up the show as we always do by looking at the streaming charts, and I will start with Amazon. Sing 2 remains on top of the chart, available for premium video on demand, so Universal bringing in more money as well uh, from that avenue. At number two is Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is available for purchase still. It will be out on physical media soon, available for rent soon, uh, but still available for purchase on the digital platforms. Venom Let There Be Carnage, available for rental at number three, followed by Free Guy. King Richard, which is available premium video on demand, at number five no time to die at number six the amazing spider-man at seven spider-man far from home at number eight and then a return of two movies on the charts f9 at number nine and then eternals available for purchase at number 10 looking at what people are buying and renting over on itunes at number one is sing 2 so number one on itunes and amazon no time to die is at number two ghostbusters afterlife is at number three the french dispatch jumps up to number four followed by venom let there be carnage dune is at number six still available for purchase free guy is at number seven spider-man far from home at number eight and then two new films well one new one returning to the chart south of heaven which is available as a 99 cent rental this past week is at number nine and the green knight returning to the chart at number 10 and let's wrap up the show by looking at what people are watching on Netflix, which had a rough week at the stock market uh, this past week. This is going to be broken down first by what everyone's watching globally and then by the top 10 in the U.S. And this is for the week of January 10th through the 16th. At number one is a new film, Bumping Don't Look Up, off the top of the chart. And that is Brazen, the number one most watched film on Netflix globally uh, for the week of the 10th through the 16th. Don't Look Up is at number two. Mother Android, which is not a Netflix original here, but is Netflix original in many other countries is at number three. How I Fell in Love with a Gangster is at number four, followed by The Secret Life of Pets 2 at number five, both new entries. Then we have a few holdovers, Just Go With It at number six, Red Notice still on the chart after 10 weeks at number seven, Back to the Outback at number eight, the film Tides at number nine. We're going to see that film on the U.S. charts under a different name. It's also known as The Colony, but it is on the chart for the first week globally. And then Riverdance, the animated adventure, Looking at the top 10 most watched series on Netflix for the week of the 10th through the 16th, Café con Roma de Mujer, which is a Colombian telenovela, is the most watched series in the world on Netflix by a pretty large margin at number one. The Netflix original limited series Stay Close is at number two, followed by Cobra Kai season four, The Witcher season two, Emily in Paris season two, Cheer season two making its debut on the global chart, followed by Manifest season one, The Queen of Flow season two, Rebelde season one, and then Archive 81 season one also making its debut on the global chart. When we confine it to the United States, we don't have the hours watch metric, but we do have the top movies and TV shows for the last week, for the 10th through the 16th. Brazen, as it was globally, is the number one watched film in the U.S. as well, followed by Don't Look Up. The Colony, which we mentioned uh, in other countries, is called The Tide, is at number three, followed by a bunch of movies that are not Netflix originals as well. Just Go With It at number four, The Longest Yard, the Adam Sandler version at number five, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at six, The Town at seven, Journey to the Mysterious Island at number eight, First Sunday at number nine, and This is Sparta, 300 at number 10. And then finally, the top 10 most watched series on Netflix. Cheer Season 2 is number one in the United States, so in the top 10 globally, but number one in the U.S. Cobra Kai Season 4 is at number two. Stay Close is at three. The Witcher Season 2 is at number four. Archive 81 Season 1 is a top five show in the U.S., followed by Emily in Paris Season 2. Coco Melon Season 4 at number seven. 
Hype House, season one, about a group of influencers. I didn't watch the show, but a lot of other people did. It's at number eight. Queer Eye, season six, at number nine. And The Witcher, season one, rounding out the top ten. And that wraps up charts for this week. Coming up this weekend in theaters is not much. I don't believe there are any new wide releases, at least in 2,000-plus theaters that are coming out. So, uh, I don't know, maybe go see The King's Daughter or something, watch something on streaming. If you want some hints about what might be coming up in the future, stay tuned, because here in a couple days, I'm going to be talking about my favorite films from the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. I have been watching as many as I possibly can. I think I'm up to 18 right now, uh, and I've got several more to go. I'm going to try to fit in as many as I can over the next few days, uh, but I've already seen some fantastic movies I'll be sharing with you. Several that I think are going to be big, buzzy movies when they drop, some of them coming out soon on streaming, others still looking for theatrical distribution. I've had a great few days, and I'm looking forward to a couple more uh, discovering some really, really, really unique movies. Thank you so much for watching. If you want to see what else I'm up to, you can check me out over on Patreon at patreon.com slash Merle, and you can check out anything that I do here on YouTube as an audio podcast The audio podcast links are down in the description below. I'd love to have you as an audio subscriber as well. There will be some audio exclusives that I've been dropping. I've seen a lot of movies at Sundance. Maybe I'll drop an exclusive review of one or two of those over there. But most of all, thank you for watching me here today. I'll be back throughout the week with the latest news and reviews. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you next time. Bye.